Hello, I'm Cory, guest editor of Arts Equator, and welcome to our dance podcast. Here in the studio with me today, I have Chan Su Wei, who is a dance maker, performance maker, and sometime troublemaker. <laughs> we have Chloe Chotrani, who is a movement artist, writer, and gardener, and Sultari Amin Farid, who is a choreographer, arts educator, and researcher of Malay dance. This morning, we're here to discuss Joget, which was first presented at the Esplanade last week. Um, this dance piece featured the work of four Singaporean choreographers, Norisham Osman, Norhaizat Adam, Badaruddin Hassan, and Hashima Harith. These new works, created in collaboration with choreographer Susan Sentler as dramaturg, were influenced by traditional Malay dance practices and also inspired by the everyday concerns of Singaporeans. We're also going to touch on Intersections, Traditionally Speaking, which is a performance lecture that is also a dialogue between two practitioners and teachers of traditional dance. One of them is of Chinese dance, who is Elizabeth Chan, and one of Malay dance, which is Amin, whom we have in the studio today as well. Um, so just to begin, I wonder if you could maybe share your experiences of watching Joget and maybe take the conversation from there. I know I would say um, that uh, uh, there's an exciting development um, for these four choreographers um, experimenting and you know with Esplanade providing that platform um, because you know um, as as a, as a scholar of this form of the Malay dance form, we see that you know such um, great. Uh, lengths has got you know they have gone to such great lengths to really look through, um, question, critique the form, um, and I think you know with Susan um, as dramaturg as well, um, has also helped them to really, you know, to to ask whether it's necessary to to even uh, keep the form and just go beyond. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Uh, you know what what the rest of my colleagues here would, uh, would want to say about it as well. Well, I'm coming from a very fresh perspective without much experience of Malay dance, which is really interesting because then I get um, kind of a pure response. Joget, I think for me, was uh, a very important conversation to happen today, especially with the timeline of the Joget modern and post-World War II. So the fact that it is in conversation and there is a platform is very exciting. And I'm very curious about the you know, what now? What happens after? I was really excited um, by by what I saw at Joget. Um, I know uh, three of the choreographers like pretty well, uh, but already I know a little bit less. Um, I also know the dramaturg and had conversations with them through the process, but I was really delighted to get to the theater and see what they had come up with because well I'm I'm not Malay dance trained I've got a smattering but having watched like various pieces in, in different settings over the years there was something incredibly fresh for me whether looking at it from maybe a more traditional perspective or looking at it as a contemporary choreographer and when I say contemporary I'm very aware that we carry this baggage of uh, a western convention of what we call contemporary that monopolizes this term and, and what I saw was like really exciting um, um maybe I'll, I'll just say like just a, a little what i thought about them um or, or how i would describe them um it, it started with uh badarudin's piece or is it bada for short yeah bada for bada, short, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it, it was a very simple solo um choreographed in five parts in five different parts of the stage where i really saw him stripping down um, what in some Malay dance schools are considered like the canon 
um, of the different uh, sort of basic steps or techniques. And he really put them under a microscope um, and deconstructed them in a very careful way. And what was very beautiful, um, and starting with his pieces, that piece was that it was done to Bunny Heichel's soundtrack, which was not the usual reliance on drum-based music and um, uh, I guess like quite a simple rhythmic format. Like Bunny was playing with some quite abstract and polyrhythmic patterns and some industrial almost machine-like noises and humming. And the rhythm of the body really emerged. Um, so it was very simple, almost in an exercise-like format, I felt, but it was incredibly beautiful to watch. Um, the next piece was uh, Shima's piece, which um, for me was uh, really an incredible pleasure to watch. She brought in a sensuality. She had four female performers, including herself, um, who were just clad very, very simply in um, sarongs, tied um, at the chest level, and you could see their bra straps. And I could, I, I was already like quite surprised that in a Malay dance context, this would be considered very revealing. And the proximity which which they danced near to the audience and the sensuality which which they treated their own bodies, not in uh, a kind of like, um, sort of selling their sexuality kind of way, but in a very intimate, private way, was, was really exciting. It was so beautiful. Sham, Nora Sham's piece was very, very different from all of the others. He, he based it, he built from the foot drill that, um, I know he does his NS in, in the Civil Defense Force, but the, the foot drill and the, 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 the kind of rituals of like obedience and domination and things like that, and he built um, conflict out of there. And I, I guess what I saw was he was asking, where does the Malay identity sit within that? Where does this kind of like jovial, joguette, kind of um, celebratory thing, where does the identity sit within the rigidity of that? Um, and then Haizad's piece really blew my mind. He <laughs> kind of deconstructed um, the joget in a way that, that brought together in a very sort of like, um, it began with quite almost like a pop entertainment way. He was just there in his shorts. Again, I know very difficult for a Malay dancer to do just there in his shorts, and I was like, so um, Shima, uh, side, Shima and Haizad are a couple, and I was like, oh, this is both of them going to underwear, <laughs> brave people. But anyway, he was there, and like it was almost like a clubbing music, and he was starting with very tiny movements, but I could see that he was looking at the mechanism of the, the joget, the ronging, and the, the, the kind of like circular motions of the wrist and building patterns out of it but almost in a way that was reminiscent of go-go dancer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but as the piece progressed, um, there, there were pieces of clothing dropping from the ceiling at various points, and the dance would start to evolve as he became more dressed and more conservative. And we began to see the joget vocabulary that we see represented on stage today. Mm -hmm. And in between each of these episodes, there would be a change in the music, like a kind of like ticker sound. And he picked up what looked like a begging bowl and went around to the audience asking for change mm. each time in this kind of like almost over-the-top repetition. It, it was hilarious, but it was also extremely thought-provoking. It was fantastic. So that's four pieces. Yeah. The second and, and fourth piece, so the husband and wife duo, had a really interesting kind of parallel pattern of this undressing and dressing and this self-soothing and it really made me think about the word dirty because jo the joget is always seen as this kind of um, erotic, you know, erotic, intrinsically erotic form. 
and you know so how do we view that word dirty and what is dirty and dressing and undressing so there was a very interesting yeah pattern happening there with the second and fourth piece mm -hmm. i mean if i if i, I can contextualize the uh, jogit for all of us here um well the the term jogit you know it, it's a um, music dance genre uh, for the uh, in as part of the malay canon um, and you know it's also a, f a dance form that was um, influenced uh, by the Portuguese um, when they colonized Malacca um, and after that you know it was taken on by the Malays indigenized etc and then after you know you saw that the, the jogit also became a very important um, feature in dance halls and entertainment parks of the 50s and the 60s in Singapore and um, so what happens there you know you would use a coupon um, you know men buy coupons to, to dance with a taxi dancer um, so because of that, you know, it becomes a, uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, de uh, no, uh, negative connotations came about from there, you know, um, uh, from, you know, for, for women who are, who are taxi dancers, they were called Prompan Jogit, for example. So I saw what was really interesting, we saw also, um, after that, a sanitization of Jogit, um, and you see Jogit becoming a national dance of Malaysia, for example, um, and then, you know, also used in, in many parts of the Malay world to represent Malayness. So I thought you know, it was really opportune time today, um, in 2018, for us to unpack the, uh, this um, negative connotations or what's been sanitized. Um, and and for, for, for my colleagues, who have, uh, for my contemporaries who, who have um, you know, created these works, I felt that they, 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 they were really um, challenging those boundaries. Um, and then again, uh, two of my favorite works, if I can say, um, that really looked at how uh, unpacking the labor in dance, uh, Heizat's work featured that a lot. Putting the board, understanding the labor that comes um, um, in the dancing and how it is it's transformed and also the, the, the act of asking for money as well, right? So if we, we read biographies of, of, of some of these Pumpan um, Jogit uh, or Taukes, right? They actually have double lives, you know. In the morning, they work other things and at night, they, they, they work um, as, as Taukes of this um, Jogit establishment. So, so it really showed, uh, he really tried to, to, to show us history Right, and what was interesting at the end of it, he's clad, dressed in traditional wear with sonko and all, and giving that money to people. So that I, I personally, I felt it was also a morality thing as well. Like despite being someone that is seen as 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 um, you know dirty or derogatory, he also does his part as, mm. as 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 someone in the community and giving back. Mm. It was interesting for me. Mm. For Shima's work, oh, sensuality, we do not have that. We don't show that in Malay dance. We don't, we don't have contact either, right? When you have two, um, you know, a male and a female dancer dancing, we don't, we don't touch because, you know, it's just not in the decorum, right? And for her to be clad and for her dancers to be clad in spaghetti and just sarong to cover, well, that's a contestation. Now, a lot of traditionalists who came felt very offended by what they saw, right? The female body in such a manner, not dressed appropriately. Um, and I thought it was interesting because, you know, the sensuality, that touch. And I must say also, as a researcher of the scene, of the community, 
70% of, of, of Malay dance choreographers are male. So this is an opportunity for women voices to be heard. And for Shima to do something like that, that was definitely a statement. Mm -hmm. If I can just bounce off of that with Shima's uh, piece, it was I talked to her about I talked to her about it after, and it was all about kind of self soothing. And you know, there's a lot of pieces happening now that responds to you know the divine feminine, and you know, there's a very popular term we were talking about yesterday, radical softness, and all of this. And so I was asking her about all of this. Is this is what um, is energizing your work? And she was saying, no, it's it's not about that at all. It was really about just. Um, self-soothing and cleaning is a form of, of soothing oneself rather than you know for yourself rather than for the male gaze so I found that I found that interesting that it, that was not necessarily the intention but it translated in that way mm. I think what was actually also very important about this was the way it was curated and in that like I think we really need to, to credit Fiza who if I, I'm not wrong, I know she programmed this, she, she's at the Esplanade programming the studios, but she also programmed this and decided to bring in Susan as dramaturg. But the idea to profile this as, is part of Pesta Raya, isn't it? The, the Malay Festival of oh. Arts. And to situate this within something that usually features very canonical, traditional type of repertoire, um, pitching this specifically to a Malay audience, which I mean, I, I could I could I could see the audience that came was like a, there there was a, a there was predominantly Malay actually, so it's very different from if it had been done say under the studios label or dance festival, it it's uh, it's a very different audience. Um, we did have a conversation uh, at at a dance nucleus event about a month ago. It's like why does one need to commission a platform for Malay choreographers? Are we ghettoizing them in some form? Mm. But when I saw what Fiza was doing, I can see that she's also making a bid to shift the audience and shift the way we view things. And of course there's a great risk involved. And yeah, I also heard about how many um, people in the, the traditional Malay dance scene are quite angry about this work. Um, and I mean, I, I don't have to bear that myself because I'm not one of the choreographers, I'm not in this situation, mm -hmm. but I understand that it's something that they do go through. I think it's very important, it's very bold, mm -hmm. it's very brave. Um, and as a contemporary artist, I would see that, you know, I don't know, is this offensive to say? I think mm -hmm. you could, they could almost take that offense as a compliment. They are where they need to be, they're on the cutting edge. Mm -hmm. They're asking questions which are so relevant that they hurt. And, you know, thinking about this as well, um, for a lot of those who are offended were actually their own gurus, right? Uh, it was interesting as well, um, Alfian, who was there for the post-show talk um, for, for Jogian, asked them, you know, have you guys been disowned by your gurus? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that they said, oh, well, you know, they are not very happy with the things that we do. Um, and some of them even called themselves um, rebels, etc. Um, and you know, I find it really ironic. You know, as a, as 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 a researcher myself, it's really interesting that you know, for the, for their gurus to be very unhappy, they were also one of those who were rebels themselves in their day. So I wonder sometimes whether innovation stops at a part, you know stops somewhere, right? And we are willing to innovate, but it stops. You know, uh, I I I innovate, and only I can. You know, so that's something to to have a conversation about, definitely. 
um, you know, in the scene, we rarely have conversations. And it's always a case of, um, you know, respecting our gurus and not putting them in a particular position. But I think, you know, having a conversation is to respect them mm -hmm. um, enough to, to know a little bit of their own perspective. Um, and I'm, I'm using this platform also to talk a lot more about why the Malay dance scene needs to have these conversations. A lot of times you have, have veterans who want a particular way, a particular look, you know, because amongst veterans today, there's this talk about um, grace, you know, like we are lacking grace in Malay dance and, and we need to be nostalgic. We need to look back at our time uh, when we were very graceful and we were very simple, you know. So the, there is this shift trying to bring us back to that time. Personally, as, as, as someone who's also a creator, I don't find that necessary. I find that you know it's it's up to us as youths or the one the new the new choreographers the upcoming ones. We're not upcoming. I mean, we've been here around for ten years. I don't think we're upcoming. Uh, you know, but we're still considered as young choreographers <laughs> to, our, to our teachers. But that's fine. Um, <laughs> but no, but that conversation needs. To, we need to have that conversation. We need to have that a conversation where we can bridge at least. You know, uh, to show that we respect our veterans, but also at the same time we need to have our own voice. Mm. I think the discourse is just as important as the dance, and I think it does have to happen more. And I think the conflict is also, the tension, the friction is also a, such a, a place of potential and opportunity where things are happening. Actually, if I could hop over to Amin and Elizabeth's piece now um, on this topic of conversations. Um, what I felt when I went to watch your piece and I also saw what friends in my network on Facebook were writing about your piece, I really had the sense of this great hunger for conversations, that, that there is a difficulty to have them, but when in offering the piece um, Intersections, that the performance lecture that you and Elizabeth did, you opened a space for conversations. And I, on the day that I attended, the majority of the audience um, seem to be to be uh, Malay dancers, and maybe like your students and your friends, jumping in to the conversation um, very, uh, very openly, very sincerely in, and I have the sense that this is very rare for them to be able to do this. So it's, it's, it's crucial. I think we're at a crucial point and squ squashing this discussion would be really counterproductive. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I can say a little bit about, about what me and Elizabeth have been doing, we've been working for about two months on this um, intersections, traditionally speaking, having conversations about how our practice and form, how similar they were and how different they are at the same time. And also, you know, for, for Chinese dance particularly, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about Chinese dance, its center is in China. But also at the same time, being Chinese in Singapore and the sort of intermingling that's been happening, um, you know, do we still need to refer to China? There's something that we also, that's one conversation that we had. But for the Malays, we do not have a particular center, right? Do you go to Indonesia or do you go to Malaysia, Brunei, Southern Thailand? I mean, there's so many places that identify themselves as Malay. But again, what we want, uh, what I wanted to do as well was to unpack this racial term Malay that might not be, you know, because we, Malay in Singapore, being an urban site of, of, of having many different sub-communities of the region coming together in this hub, right? Um, you know, are we really Malay when at the same time we are also Javanese, Boyanese, Minangkabau, etc.? And if so, if we identify with these sub-communities, and I put in scare quotes, sub-communities, 
why are they not represented in the Malay dance canon? Mm-hmm. So these are things which 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 I I, I talk about, um, and it was inter- interesting. Uh, one of our moderators was Dr. Um, Chua Su Pong, who is himself a Chinese Wayang Doyen and. Um, a researcher of the traditional arts in Singapore since the 80s. So he felt that, you know, the CMI, CMIO model was really uh, needed at one point of time because, you know, it was for nation building, etc. But it doesn't work anymore today, he says, as well. Because, you know, I think we, we, we have found ourselves to some extent. We have intermingled really well. But also at the same time, you know, there's the question, you know, do we, does the Malay dance model work today? Uh, what more can we do with it? How you know? How can we unpack it? Um, so yeah, so these are were the things that we were talking about as we were doing the work for intersections, but it was quite unfortunate, I I think, and I, I like to say it as well that we didn't really highlight everything that we wanted to talk about because you know we realized that the audience might be quite new to the whole idea of having traditional artists having a conversation. Um, you know, um, oh God, they have brains. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Yes, I agree with they that. They have opinions. I agree with that. Uh, because you know, it's it's like a first for them, right? Um, and it was really good. Like what you say, it was this thirst for conversation, and I gave that opportunity, and for to have my own dancers, you know, coming to me after and say, I have so many questions I want to ask you. And they give me, like, you know, SMSs and WhatsApp of so many questions. And I say, oh my God, this is, I need to do another lecture, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I did such great questions. Like, Abang, if you are trying to say that everything we do is contemporary today, then what is tradition? And why do we call ourselves traditional artists? Mm-hmm. And this is a great, great question, mm-hmm. you know, from the minds of 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, in, in, in from polytechnics and secondary schools. And we need to have that conversation. Says that a lot of our traditional artists are not that articulate at this moment, um, and it because we don't have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I was very happy to have that um, platform um, to do this, and I was very happy that the two of you uh, were there as well. Um, you know, to to, to 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 bear witness to the sort of why we need to have this conversation in the first place. I think it says a lot that the work spoke to many people who are also not. Um, identifying or practicing as traditional Malay dancers or Chinese traditional dancers or classical dancers that um, whether as as dancers or as artists or as general audience there was I think a, a sense of the, the stake in like identity and tradition that these things have but the the tension that that generates with needing to to exist in a contemporary sense mm-hmm. And I mean, I heard that that same hunger and thirst and questions, also confusion, confusion, creating the need for for questions and and, um, uh, dialogue about it. Um, When Elizabeth presented yesterday also at the Dance Nucleus, there was, um, over the weekend, in fact, Saturday, Sunday at the Dance Nucleus, there was something called Scope, where... um, mainly associate artists were presenting different aspects of their research and Elizabeth, I don't know how she multitasks like this, had another presentation with two other Chinese dancers talking about pedagogical aspects. And the the questions were really multiplying in that space. Um, and it was it was interesting to to be there, um, almost like witnessing it but enge- and engaging with it from the viewpoint of a dancer who is much more used to a Western contemporary dance discursive framework um, 
and trying to see how Elizabeth tries to bring those two approaches together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the format of performance lecture is a really interesting opportunity for dancers, artists to come together in dialogue through applying choreographic strategies and different ways to to converse, which is not just on a verbal plane, but also like when you and Elizabeth were conversing during the lecture, I found it so charismatic and so engaging mm. and so enjoyable. And it was hilarious because I'm listening to you, Amin, and you're talking about these traditional Malay dances and these gender forms, and you within your hyper-femininity and the way you, you speak and your tone, so that moment is is loaded in itself and it's so multi-dimensional and so I'm very interested in that format and how we can apply as I said choreographic strategies to explore mm-hmm. our own discourse beyond the questions of traditional and contemporary. We've had some really interesting conversations and I think what I kind of you know have drawn from all three of you is looking at how things calcify, how innovations sort of calcify, not just in, in choreographic practice or in dance, um, but also in terms of, of CMIO in, in Singapore. You know, it was innovative for that time. But now how can we go beyond you know, that conversation? So I think you know, in Joget, you have kind of four different artists conversing in that way, um, having that conversation among themselves. And then between you, Amin, and Elizabeth, there's another conversation going on, how you can bring that further, introduce kind of you know, really productive frictions or tensions to see how this will grow. So thank you so much for talking about this. I think we've explored like really rich territory. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us.